Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. As you can see, the theme here this morning is death through Adam, life through Christ. No passage in Scripture in the New Testament has had such an influence on theology as this passage. And no passage is more difficult for the modern mind to understand. This passage is difficult because Paul expresses himself differently than we do. Paul's first sentence, if you look at verse 12, it it never ends. It breaks off in midair, and he takes another thought. He begins pursuing another thought. Paul is thinking and speaking in terms that were very familiar to the Jews at that time. And he's um, very, it was very understandable to them, but which is unfamiliar to you and I today. But on the screen, you'll see something here, this, this uh, scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22. And this really expresses the theme of these verses. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. It's a much clearer way. So Paul says the same thing. But... Jewish thought at times has been bewildering to the 20th century man. Now, our first, we only have two points here this morning, and we can cover them, I believe, quickly. Adam and sin. The Jew never thought of himself, honestly, never thought of himself as an individual, but thought of himself as a family, thought himself as a tribe, thought of himself as a nation. And we have a brilliant example of this in the Old Testament and it's found in Joshua chapter 7. Keep your finger in the book of Romans, but go back to Joshua chapter 7. And I want you to see what's taking place there. Many of you might recognize this Old Testament story. Um, what you see here is um, something very unusual is happening to the Jews as they were entering the, the promised land. They were being victorious in the battles that they were fighting. Uh, Jericho had just taken place. So we're in chapter 7, and we see it begins right away, almost with the end of the story. It talks about the fact that Achan had stolen something and hidden it. Now, as I said, they had been very successful in the battles, but they were not successful successful in Ai. Uh, They had sent their spies out, and they said, we need to go up, we need to take this, uh, this, this this grouping of people, and we need to do what God has said. But Achan, as they had gone and they were involved in the battle, he had taken some treasures, things that were worshipped. Basically, stolen loot, he kept it, he hid it, he lied about it, he defied God's command. Now, look over in verse 11 of chapter 7. Uh, actually, verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, and Joshua is praying. He's, he's, he's saying, Lord, what can we do? He said, why did you even bring this group of people across the, uh, the Red Sea? 
the Lord said, Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. God's very specific in how he deals with this situation. You see, God is specific with us today, but often we're too busy to hear what God is saying. Just like Joshua, we have our own ideas of what we think God should do, but God is specific in how he deals with things. He said, Israel has sinned. Did you notice that? Israel. You see, I, I told you moments ago that the Jew never thought of himself as an individual. He thought himself as his family, his tribe, his clan, his nation. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They put them in their own possessions. And then he goes on to say, that is why the Israelites cannot take this enemy. They turn their back and they run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever is among you that is devoted to destruction. Achan's sin was not one man's sin, but the sin became the sin of the nation. Uh, to make this very clear, what the individual did, the nation did. Achan stole, Achan sinned, he lied, the nation was guilty. The point here is this, once more, Achan was not a solitary individual responsible for his own sin. Achan was one of a group of people from whom he could not be separated. This is from William Barclay. This is exactly how Paul saw Adam. Adam was not an individual. We have difficulty with that. Remember I said that the uh, Jewish thought is often difficult for our mind to understand? But Adam was not an individual. He was one, just one of mankind. And because he was one of mankind, Adam's sin was the sin of all men. And Paul says, all men have sinned in Adam. All men have sinned in Adam. And throughout history the Christian th of Christian thinking, there have been efforts of men to try to interpret Adam's sin to, to make man feel more comfortable. But that's not, I'm not going to take the time to explain all of those different thoughts about these verses. The point is this, Adam sinned because he broke a direct commandment of God, just like Achan did. And God, because he broke that commandment, he ate of the forbidden tree. Therefore, you will see this on the screen, all men literally sinned in Adam. They literally sinned in Adam, and because of Adam's sin, death reigned over all men. So now we look at Jesus and grace. Jesus is the last Adam. The righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us by the death of Jesus. Righteousness is imputed. That means it's credited to us because of the death of Jesus. Jesus is the head of a new race. He's the head of a new redeemed man, okay? But you have to make the choice to follow Jesus. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 and 47. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul. And the last Adam, Jesus, was made a life-giving spirit. 
The first Adam was of the dust of the earth. The second man is the Lord from heaven. What a blessing that is for us. Now you see, again, as we look at this passage, depending on which version you're reading, it can be difficult to understand. But into this bleak, horrid reign of sin came Jesus Christ. Satan has done his best since the beginning of time and his foulest and his meanest to keep uh, and tear man away from God, to destroy man's soul, and to keep man from God's Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus offers perfect goodness to man. Sometimes that can be difficult for us to understand because all men are enmeshed in Adam's sin. All men are involved in Jesus' perfect goodness. Stay with me. Just as Adam's sin was the cause of death, Jesus' perfect goodness conquers death and gives man eternal life. See, this is important for us to understand as we take communion today. But because of God's grace, mankind is acquitted of his sin and can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ overcomes the condemnation of death. Mankind was condemned to death because of Adam's sin. But this is where it comes down to choice. Each individual can accept or reject Jesus Christ. Until the cross, Adam's sin had man in its power and there was no hope. Okay? Into this situation came Jesus and he broke the power, Satan's power over sin and death. Jesus gave of himself. He went to the cross, Calvary's cross, to bring grace and spiritual freedom into the world for man. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, man was then able to escape from sin. Look what William Barclay had to say. Man was ruined by sin, but he was rescued by Jesus Christ. Now quickly we're going to look at verses 13, 14, and right through verse 21. In verse 13, before the law was given, now this can get a little confusing, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account. It was not considered when there was no law. You see, there was no law until Moses. From Adam to Moses, sin still was in the world. It was counted as rebellion against God, because the law had not yet been given. If you go to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, what you will see is God saw that man's wickedness was so great, so terrible, man's every thought was so evil, uh, all of the time that God judged them, and we know this as the flood. He sent a great flood and they were judged because they were sinners, because they had been rebelling against God. Now, verse 14, you will see here it says that, uh, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Paul is personifying. When you hear a pastor or a speaker talk about personification, what that means is um, they're trying to make this situation death real, which we know that it is, but he's uh, personalizing death. He speaks, Paul speaking of the fact that death reigned like a king from Adam to Moses. 
It was a terrible time in the, uh, in the world. Now, there are three types of death, and we all know this, but I want us to take a look at it. There's physical death. This refers to the, uh, that kind of got a little mixed up in the way <laughs> it got translated there, but there's physical death. It refers to the separation of the spirit from the body. This death comes to man because of Adam's sin, physical death. Spiritual death. Now that should raise some questions, physical death. Spiritual death, this is separation from, and, and, uh, from, from God. We inherit this from Adam. We're alienated from God and we are dead in our sins, Ephesians 2.1. Then we have eternal death. This is eternal separation from God. Unless you, unless you, unless man is redeemed, you're eternally separated from God. My prayer as a pastor is that when people hear the word of God, there is a response. There is thinking within the mind and, and a change within the heart that they are going to follow God's word and not be separated eternally from God. And a believer can make incredible changes in their life if they've been going in one direction away from God, they can be moved back to God. And then we come to verse 16. This verse simply means that one transgression plunged us into sin, and one act of obedience, the death of Jesus on the cross, makes it possible for us to be saved. So what we have here is we have verse 16, we have one transgression plunged man into sin, and one act of obedience, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, makes it possible for us to be saved. Verse 17, Paul presents a kingdom that is far superior than what Satan offers. Satan offers death. I hear a lot of people tell me through the years, I hear young people tell me today, hey, I'm going to party in hell. I got to do a little, just do a tiny little bit of research. And you're going to find out that there's separation, there's gnashing of teeth, there's darkness, there's pain, there's suffering. There's no, there's no party in hell. Changes need to be made. So Satan offers death. Jesus offers the abundance of grace. Salvation came through Jesus Christ. Verses 18 through 21, Adam's one act of disobedience made everyone sinners. But when God gave the law, he gave it, listen carefully, he gave the law with a sacrificial system, a very complicated system. But when Jesus came, when Jesus came, Jesus came to fulfill that law, that complicated system. He came to fulfill the sacrificial system. Verse 21 you and I are living in a world where the, Satan is the prince of this world. You need to be dressed as a believer. You need to be reading, and I would encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 6. You need to be dressed in battle gear every day. And the problem is most of us, we take life for granted. Now, some of us have gotten concerned here this past week. Um, we're concerned because the stock market has really taken a tumble. We've lost thousands and thousands of dollars of investment. There are people that are dying because of a new coronavirus. 
folks, some of these people are dying without Christ. What is our concern? Is our concern about what the money that we've lost? Or is it about those that have lost everything and they've gone to hell because they've never heard Jesus Christ? Because no one's taken the gospel to them. You see, I honestly, I'm going to say something, and I know that this will and could be offensive this morning. But, you know, when you reach the age that I've reached, uh, I don't care. Some of us are lazy. We get very comfortable in our little world. And we forget that we fight an enemy that is much more powerful than we are. Very cagey. Very willing to destroy our lives. And he'll do it, like the Three Stooges used to say, inch by inch, foot by foot. He will destroy We forget to get our battle dress on each and every day, Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God. Be prepared to fight the battle against an enemy who wants to destroy your soul. He wants to destroy those around you. We need to be dressed every day because our enemy, okay, 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us that Satan prowls. He prowls in a world and where sin reigns, and he's looking for people to destroy. But God has offered us, this is, the, this is the great thing, God has offered salvation to a lost people. Now, let's talk just very quickly about a believing sinner. We have life eternal, life eternal by trusting in Jesus Christ. The last thing you're going to see here is this, Ephesians 2.20. My old self has been crucified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Folks, that, that that should be our cry. My old self has been crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. You see, for the believer, sin is no longer your master. That's what we're talking about here. You are no longer slave to to sin. You are righteously free. And that simply means that you are justified. I'll put all of this up on the screen. We'll kind of give you all of these different terminologies the next time I speak, about justification and salvation and sanctification, so they'll all fit together and make sense. And you can see how God begins working in our life when we accept Jesus Christ. Sanctification means that God is constantly working in our life after we have saved. Justification means God has turned our heart. He's allowed our heart. He's made us right before God. And we have a lot of other terminology we can put up. But we need to understand it. We need to understand the doctrine of the Word of God so that we are able to express truth to those around us. Father, forgive us for our lax attitude toward you at times. But Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to be taught freely from the Word of God. 
Father, we thank you for this missions trip that has taken place, the blessings that you have brought to this family and will continue to bring to this family, this village, and these, this missionary couple. We thank you that we've had one very small part in that. Thank you for the sacrificial labor. Now, Lord, I pray that we believers will, will labor sacrificially for you. Lord, we need courage to speak to loved ones. We need courage to, to talk to those who we know who do not know you. You see, that, that's our task. That's what you've asked us to do. It's frightening to most of us. Father, I pray for courage, and I pray that you would just give us the words to say. They don't have to be, they don't have to sound like a pastor. They just have to sound, they just have to sound like truth. Lord, give us the words to say at the right time. Thank you, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the law, to fulfill the sacrificial system. Gracious Lord, to, to offer salvation and Father, to give us life and hope and a future. We thank you. We thank you for everything that you've done. And Lord, everything that you will do, and Lord, that's even beyond what we even can understand or think about. Gracious Lord, I boldly ask you to bless this church and to bless this grouping of people. Father, bless our giving. I pray that you would bless our hearts as our hearts are changed for you. And Lord, I pray that we will do your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.